Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Walter, and this is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be covering Chapter 16 of Polygamy in the Bible. We'll be on pages 162 to 166. The title of the chapter is John the Baptist. The reader portion of the program is 12 minutes long, and then we'll get into the commentary portion. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and there is a chat room available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Thank you for listening. John, the Baptist, chapter 16 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 162 to 167, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judah, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. Mark 1, 4-5, John known as the Baptist, was miraculously born to great high priest by the name of Zacharias and his wife. While Zacharias was performing sacrifices and holy rites in the temple at Jerusalem, an angel appeared to him at the altar and told him that he would soon be the father of a child. Now both Zacharias and his wife were well stricken in years, and his wife had been barren all her life. It was such a startling announcement that he laughed. But it was not a laughing matter to the angel who told Zacharias that he would be struck, dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believes, not my words. Luke 1.20 The angel also told him that he would have a son, whose name was to be John. Furthermore, that he would be a great preacher, filled with the Holy Ghost, going forth in the spirit and power of Elias. After nearly a year had passed, the miracle occurred and John was born. Zacharias then received his speech again, and the Jews hailed the event with great rejoicing, for they knew this young boy would 163 herald the long-awaited kingdom of God, and personally introduce the promised Messiah and dash the Lord Jesus Christ. 600 years previous to this event, the great prophet Isaiah foretold of John who would be the voice of him that created in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Isa. 43. Also, about 400 years before the birth of John, the Lord told the prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now. 3. 
1. Jesus confirmed these prophecies by saying that John was the Elias, which was to come. Matt 11, 14 The scriptures leave us with only one sentence about the youth and childhood of John, yet this is nearly all the information we have about the youth of Jesus. There were many other similarities between the life and mission of John and Jesus. The announcement of their births came from an angel of God. They were both born in the same year. Their missions in life lasted about three years. The object of their teaching was to proclaim repentance and baptism into the kingdom of God. They were both put to death before they reached their 34th birthday. And they were both executed by the political rulers of the land. It should be noted that John was teaching and practicing baptism before Jesus began his ministry. This was an Israelitish law. According to rabbinical teachings, which dominated even during the existence of the temple, baptism, next to circum 164, scission and sacrifice, was an absolutely necessary condition to be fulfilled by a proselyte to Judaism. Jewish Encyclopedia Volume 2, 499, John was a powerful preacher, to whom thousands of Jews came to be baptized. Jesus, too, came to John to be baptized. This seemed strange, even to John, that he who was without sin, should need to be baptized. But Jesus told John that it was necessary to fulfill that righteous law. Baptism, like other laws and ordinances of the gospel, was to be obeyed, not just proclaimed. Even Jesus was not and Ash permitted to have the distinction of being an exception to the law. Obedience to the commandments was an absolute requirement upon the Savior, because he was to be the perfect example of obedience to the law. This he admitted when he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill that law. Matt 5, 17 Throughout the ministry of John, he gave no indication that he was establishing any new doctrine or law. Neither did he teach anything contrary to that ancient law. John even used the Old Testament as the basis for the authority of his mission. See John 1, 23 his great importance lies in the fact that he bridged the old era and the new and was the link between the two. Neither Jesus nor John came preaching something absolutely new. This was a word of fulfillment. Zoned Irvin's Encyclopedia of the Bible, 3, 642. John baptized men by the authority of God before the ministry of Christ and did not use a 165 different authority after Christ came. John denounced sins and dash not by any new doctrine, but according to the law given to Moses. Today many people think that the law was done away at the coming of Christ because of one scripture, which might lead some to believe that, if they read it literally. It reads, The law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Luke 16:16. 16, 16. But it takes only a little common reasoning to understand what this means. 
to believe that the laws and commandments were in force until John, but after that time men were free to obey or disobey them as they wished, is foolishness in the extreme. From a similar scripture we read, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Matt 11, 13 Now it begins to make more sense and is a little clearer. The law and the prophets pointed to the time when John would introduce the Messiah. The verse following added, If ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. The law was predicated upon the great event of the atonement of Christ. The prophets all prophesied of it, told about it, and pointed to that time and place, and to John who would introduce that Saviour. John was a courageous preacher of righteousness. He was so bold that he rebuked the king on his throne for adultery, according to the law of Moses. This was Herod, the Tetrarch, king of the Jews, who, 166, fell in love with Herodias, this last Herod's wife, who was the daughter of Aristobulus, their brother, and the sister of Agrippa the Great. John rebuked him saying, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Matt. 24, 4, by seeing this, John had a double reason according to Mosaic law, first because of the incest, Lev. 18.16, and secondly, with regard to living with another man's wife, Lev. 20.10, Herod's sin was exactly the same that Jesus referred to in the passages of Mark 10.11-12. So both John the Baptist and Jesus used the law of Moses as a basis for their moral teachings. Josephus, the noted historian, said, Now, when others came in crowds about him less than John greater than, for they were greatly moved by hearing his words, he wrote, who feared lest the great influence John had over the people might put it into his power and inclination to raise rebellion, thought it best by putting him to death. Antiquities of the Jews, BK 8, Chap. 5, 2. The historian Will Durant said that of wives he less than her road greater than had 10, once 9 at a time. Of children, 14. Caesar and Christ, Durant, P. 534. See also Pilaubet's Bible Dictionary, P. 387. Josephus also records in his historical works that Herod's father had nine wives, and also lists their names. See Antiquities of the Jews, BK. 17, Chap. 1 and 2. Notice that John rebukes Herod for adultery, but never mentioned his father who was living polygamy with nine women. If polygamy were a sin, it is unreasonable that the Lord's forerunner would have missed such a chance to object to it. He was certainly exposed to a great deal of it in that 167 Jewish nation, for we read that there went out unto him all the land of Judah, and they of Jerusalem, confessing their sins. The object of John's mission was to cry repentance. Yet if polygamy were a sin, he certainly missed a very opportune chance to condemn it. Every prophet spoke out against immoral sins. 
Yet John N. Dash considered to be greatest of these in Dash never even mentioned polygamy as a sin. He rebuked the Pharisees for hypocrisy, the publican tax gatherers for extorting funds, the soldiers who robbed by violence, the harlots for their uncleanness, and even the king for adultery. Would John have missed polygamy if it was sinful? None of the prophets of God have classified polygamy as a sin and dash much to the chagrin of many modern ministers. It is inconceivable that polygamy could flourish among God's people within the eyesight of so many holy prophets, yet they left no condemnation of that practice. Nor is it reasonable to think that polygamy could flourish for a period of 4,000 years and then suddenly be classed as a sin. Such thinking is irrational. How can salvation be considered stable if time alone could change or alter eternal principles of salvation? Who would dare say that certain conditions, social pressures, time, or man-made laws can modify or prohibit moral laws? If such changes could be made in God's laws, then the psalmist was mistaken in calling them perfect. Psalms 19, 7, in summation, then, the great forerunner of Christ, who cried repentance, converting nearly all of Jerusalem, and all Judah, and all the region round about Jordan, did not condemn plural marriage. 168, chapter 17, Jesus, the Rabbi, Okay, so let's get into the commentary portion of the program. I'm going to open up the guest call-in lines for anybody who wants to call in. The phone number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. It is a Manhattan, New York, New York phone number. International callers can use Skype to call in. I've seen people call in from all over the world using that method. There is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. The guest call in lines in the chat room are open during the live program, which is Monday through Friday. From 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, for one to two hours, depends on how long it takes to get through the reading. We can go into overdrive after 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for an hour, so the program can be up to three hours long if we need it to be. But for the most part, I try to keep it between one to two hours. Okay, let's get into the commentary portion of the program. John the Baptist, Chapter 16 of Polygamy in the Bible. Pages 162 to 167. 
John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for, for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the water of Jordan, confessing their sins. Mark chapter 1 verses 4 through 5. So, the Jews have a tradition of mikvah, of purifying, and it's the same as baptism. So, and they do it before they go into the temple um, and different different things, but they call it the mikvah. Anyway, John, known as the Baptist, or I call him Yochanan the Immerser, was miraculously born to a great high priest by the name of Zacharias and his wife. While Zacharias was performing sacrifices and holy rites in the temple at Jerusalem, an angel appeared to him at the altar and told him that he would soon be the father of a child. Now both Zacharias and his wife were well stricken in years, and his wife had been barren all of her life. It was such a startling announcement that he laughed. But it was not a laughing matter to the angel who told Zacharias that he would be struck dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believes not my words Luke chapter 1 verse 20 the angel also told him that he would that he would have a son whose name was to be John furthermore that he would be a great preacher filled with the Holy Ghost going forth in the same spirit and power of Elias After nearly a year had passed, the miracle occurred, and John was born. Zacharias then received his speech again, and the Jews held the event with great rejoicing, for they knew this young boy would herald the long-awaited kingdom of God and personally introduce the promised Messiah, the Lord, Yeshua a Mashiach, or Jesus the Christ, page 163. 600 years previous to this event, the great prophet Isaiah foretold of John, who would be the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Also about 400 years before the birth of John, the Lord told the prophet Malachi, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus confirmed these prophecies by saying that John was the Elias which was to come. Matthew chapter 11, verse 14. The scriptures leave us with only one sentence about the youth and childhood of John. 
Yet this is nearly all the information we have about the youth of Jesus. There were many other similarities between the life and mission of John and Jesus. The announcement of their births came from an angel of God. They were both born in the same year, and their missions in life lasted about three years. The object of their teaching was to proclaim repentance and baptism into the kingdom of God. They were both put to death before they reached their 34th birthdays, and they were both executed by the political rulers of the land. It should be noted that Yochanan, or John, was teaching and practicing mikvah or baptism before Jesus began his ministry. This was an Israelitish law. According to rabbinical teachings, which dominated even during the existence of the temple, baptism, next to circumcision and sacrifice, was an absolutely necessary condition to be fulfilled by the proselyte to Judaism. And quote, Jewish Encyclopedia, Volume 2, page 499. We're on page 60, uh, 164 now. Yochanan, or John, was a powerful preacher to whom thousands of Jews came to be baptized. Yeshua, or Jesus, came to Yochanan the Immerser to be baptized. This seemed strange even to Yochanan, or John, that he who was without sin should need to be baptized, or mitzvahed, but Yeshua, Jesus, told Yochanan, John, that it was necessary to fulfill that righteous law. Baptism of mikvahs, like other laws and ordinances of the gospel, was to be obeyed, not just proclaimed. Even Yeshua was not permitted to have the distinction of being an exception to the law. Obedience to the commandments was an absolute requirement upon the Savior because he was to be the perfect example of obedience to the law. This he admitted when he said, quote, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Okay, I've got to talk about this just a little bit. When a rabbi tells you that you are fulfilling Torah, that means you're living it perfectly. Yeshua, or Jesus, he lived it perfectly as an example of how we are to live. He gave us the higher law, and the Torah was the foundation of that law. Well, how do you build upon a, higher, or on a lower law and give us a higher law? when you do away with the lower law and you knock out the foundation of the higher law. Everything that Jesus taught can be found in Torah. Everything that he taught. 
In fact, there was no New Testament during the life of Yeshua or Jesus or John. It didn't exist. Jesus was a Hebrew Israelite. He kept the law perfectly. He did not come to destroy the law or to remove one jot or, or tittle or one smallest part of the law, but to fulfill, which means that he came to live it perfectly as an example of how we are to live. It makes me so angry that people think that the Torah is done away with. It is not done away with. I want to know how it is that Christians think that they can just pick and choose what laws are still important in the Torah. I mean, we keep the Ten Commandments, except for we don't worship on the Sabbath day. We don't rest on the Sabbath day. We rest on the Lord's day. Now, I understand that. But we should be resting on the Sabbath day and worshiping on the Lord's day. That's what the early Christians did. Paul, in order to prove that he was not anti-Torah, as people were, um, they were accusing him of, he went and took the Nazarite vow, which required a sacrifice in the temple, and he paid for many other men to do it as well. And this thing, you had to have certain animals to do the, to do the sacrifice, and it cost money. It was expensive. But Paul paid for it after his conversion, after he became a 70 apostle, which he was. He was not one of the 12. But he proved his obedience to the law that he was not coming to do away with or destroy the law by observing the feasts of Jehovah, the holy days of Jehovah, which Christians do not do today and by sacrifice in the temple. They went to synagogue on Shabbat, on Sabbath, which began Friday night at sundown and lasted until Saturday night at sundown. The Lord's Day began on Saturday night at sundown and went to Sunday night at sundown. They observed Shabbat by going to the synagogues. And then the, the followers of Jesus, shortly after sunset, would meet together themselves in their homes as followers of Yeshua, or Jesus Christ, and that would be on Saturday night not Sunday morning. In fact, some of the people that would preach in the homes would preach well into the night and people would fall asleep. And there was a guy in the rafters that fell out and got killed. And then I think it was Peter that raised him back up. Well, it's because he was preaching so long into the night People were falling asleep. The guy fell out of the rafters because he fell asleep. <laughs> and then God gave the apostle power to raise him from the dead, which he did.
I know it's a little tangent, but I've got to go off onto it. Yeshua, or Jesus Christ, was in the earth three days and three nights. Not even Einstein can get three days and three nights out of Friday night to Sunday morning because that is not, not how it happens. The Last Supper was a preparation meal or a rehearsal meal for the Passover, which was the next day. Yeshua was a rabbi, and the rabbis during that time, and even today, they will have a preparation meal to go over the the holy day um, and the holy feast of Pesach, or Passover, which begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the rehearsal meal that night, that's when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's when the sins of the world came upon him and tore his flesh apart physically to the point where he bled from every pore because his flesh was being torn apart by the sins of the world that was coming upon him. And because he was part God and part man, he was able to heal himself through the power God gave him when no man could have taken upon himself the sins of the world and survived. The first wave would have killed us all. But because he was who he was and because he had the power that he had, he was able to endure the greatest pain the greatest pain and he was able to live and he was able to heal himself as wave after wave more excruciating than the next came upon him it was that night or the early morning before Pesach began on Wednesday morning in the year 28 AD that the Sanhedrin went to capture Yeshua. That was the day when Pilate questioned him. That was the day all of that happened, and they took him, and they put him on the cross after they scourged him with the cat of nine tails and the whips. And they had to get him off the cross before the high Sabbath of unleavened bread began with the commencement meal of Pesach, or Passover. They put him in the tomb of Joseph, or Yosef of Arimathea, who was his great uncle. That was shortly before sundown on Wednesday night. He was in the tomb for the Sabbath of Pesach or Passover. Wednesday night to Thursday night. One night and one day. Thursday night to Friday night. One night and one day. And Friday night to Saturday night. One night 
in one day. Shortly after the sunset, shortly after the sunset on the true Sabbath, which ended Saturday night, Yeshua was resurrected from the dead. And he broke the bands of death Saturday night. Miriam went to the tomb late Saturday night, early Sunday morning before the sun ever came up. And the angel told her, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Behold, he is not here. He has risen. Before the sun ever started to shine in the east, Yeshua's already gone. This idea of Friday night to Sunday morning comes from the ignorance of Rome and has been perpetuated by the ignorance of the Roman Church. Constantine and his mother, they didn't understand the Pesach or the Holy Days of Jehovah. They don't understand. They knew that the Jewish Sabbath was on Friday. And that kind of goes along with their worship of Dagon, the fish god, which is on Fridays. And Apollos, the sun god, which worship was on Sunday. It kind of went along with what they wanted. But it's just, it's just not true. It's just not true. Obedience to the commandments was an absolute requirement upon the Savior because he was to be a perfect example of obedience to the law. And let me just say, because, because he was an example to us of how we should live. He fulfilled or lived perfectly Torah of an example of how we should live. He admitted that when he said, I came not to destroy the Torah or the law, but to fulfill Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. And like I said, to fulfill the law means to live it perfectly, not to do away with it. Throughout the ministry of Yochanan, or John, he gave no indication that he was establishing any new doctrine or law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, neither to add to or take away anything from the law. Do not add to or take away from the law of God. And also that um, if they speak not according to the law, there is no light in them. That, that scripture is still applicable to us today. Neither did he teach anything contrary to that ancient law. John, or Yochanan, even used the Old Testament as a basis for the authority of his mission. See John chapter 1, verse 23. 
His great importance lies in the fact that he bridged the old era and the new and was the link between the two. Neither Yeshua nor Yochanan came preaching something absolutely new. There was a there was a word of fulfillment. There's was a word of fulfillment. And quote Zondervan's Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume 3, page 642. Yochanan the Immerser, or John the Baptist, baptized men by the authority of God before the ministry of Yeshua, our Messiah, or Jesus the Christ. It did not use a different authority after Hamashiach came, or the Messiah came. Page 165. John denounced sin, not by any new doctrine, but according to the law given to Moses, or Moshe. Today, many people think that it was the law that was done away with at the, at the coming of Yeshua, or Christ, because of one scripture which might lead some to believe that if they, literal, if they read it literally, it reads, the law and the prophets, or the Torah and the prophets, were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Luke chapter 16, verse 16. But it takes only a little common reasoning to understand what this means believe that the law and commandments were in force until Yochanan or John, but after that time men were free to obey or disobey them is as they, is um, I'm sorry free to obey or disobey them as they wished is foolishness to the extreme. From a similar scripture we read, quote for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. Now it begins to make more sense and is a little clearer. The law or Torah and the prophets pointed to the time when, G when John would introduce the Messiah. The verse following added, if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. The law was predicated upon the great event of the atonement of Christ. The prophets all prophesied of it and told about it and pointed to that time and place and to John who would introduce that Savior. John was courageous, a courageous preacher of righteousness. He was so bold that he rebuked a king on his throne for adultery, according to the law of Moses. This was Herod the Tetrarch, king of the Jews, who fell in love with Herodias, the last, this last Herod's wife, who was the daughter of Aristobulus, their brother, and the sister of Agrippa the Great. John rebuked him, saying, it is not lawful for thee to have her. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4, on page 166. By saying this, Yochanan, or John, had a double reason, reason according to the Mosaic Law. 
first because of the incest law, which is found in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 16, and secondly, with regards to living with another man's wife, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Herod's sin was exactly the same that Jesus referred to in the passage of Mark, chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. So both John the Baptist and Jesus used the law or the Torah of Moshe as a basis for their moral teachings. Josephus, the noted historian, said, quote, Now when others came in crowds about him, speaking of John, they were greatly moved by hearing his words. Herod, who feared lest the great influence of John had over the people might put it into his, into his power an inclination to raise a rebellion, thought it best, thought it best by putting him to death. Antiquity of the Jews, Book 8, Chapters 5, Page 2. The historian Will Durant said that one or of wives, he, speaking of Herod, had ten, once nine at a time, of children, fourteen. Caesar and Christ by Will Durant, page 534. See also Palubet's Bible Dictionary, page 386. Josephus also recorded in his historical work that Herod's father had nine wives and also listed their names. See Antiquities of the Jews, Book 17, Chapter 1 and 2. Notice that John rebuked Herod for adultery but never mentioned his father who was living polygamy with nine different women. If polygamy were a sin, it is unreasonable that the Lord's forerunner would have missed such a chance to object to it. He was certainly exposed to great, a great deal of it in the Jewish nation, for we read that there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem confessing their sins. Page 167. The object of John's mission was to cry repentance, yet if polygamy were a sin, he certainly missed a very opportune chance to condemn it. Every prophet spoke out against immoral sin, yet John, considered to be the greatest of these, or the greatest of prophets, never even mentioned polygamy as a sin. He rebuked the Pharisees for hypocrisy, the publicans' ta uh, tax gatherers for extorting funds, the soldiers who robbed by violence the harlots for their uncleanliness, and even the king for his adultery. Would John, would John have missed polygamy if it was sinful? None of the prophets of God have classified polygamy as a sin. Not one. Much to the chagrin of many modern ministers. It is inconceivable that polygamy could flourish among God's people within the eyesight of so many holy prophets and yet left no condemnation of that practice. Not one of them condemned it.
nor is it reasonable to think that polygamy could flourish for a period of 4,000 years and then suddenly be classed as a sin. Such thinking is irrational. How could salvation be considered stable if time alone could change or alter eternal principles of salvation? Who would dare say that certain conditions, social pressures, time, or man-made laws can modify or prohibit moral laws? If such changes could be made in God's laws, then the psalmist was mistaken in calling them perfect. Psalms chapter 7, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 19, verse 7. So we're at 96%. We're almost done with the reading for today. Once again, the phone lines are open, and I will finish the reading, and if we have anybody who has called in, then I will take their call. Um, and call in before the end of the reading. I'll, I'll take your call off the air because this is a recording. Um, but I am on live. I'm just I'm listening. I'm driving my semi truck. Anyway, I will take you into the call screening room and ask you your question and your first name only and where you're from. And then if you choose to come on and talk, then that's fine. I really enjoy the conversation, even if people disagree with me. Um, unless they try to get belligerent and try to take over my program, which, for some reason, the Muslims like to do from time to time. And it drives me nuts. But I usually give them a long rope. So, anyway, continuing on. Oh, well, real quick, the guest caller number is 917-889-8827. And that is a Manhattan, New York, New York area code uh, and number. So you can also use Skype to call in if you don't want to use your phone. In summation, the great forerunner of Messiah who cried repentance, converting nearly all of Jerusalem and Judea and all the region round about Jordan, did not condemn plural marriage. So when we come back on to do another episode of Fundamentally Mormon, uh, I think, well, we'll see what happens. Um, Tonight's my last day of work, so it's, Thursday night and um, I get off Friday morning and then I'll have my son Arius during the day Um, and then my daughter will get home around noon or one and then I'll be able to go to sleep after that Um, so Fridays are really really tough for me and I'm not sure what I'm going to do tomorrow but I think that I'll be reading about Jesus and all of that, which is chapter 17 of Polygamy in the Bible, starting on page 168, I think I'll probably be reading that on Monday. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to do tomorrow. I do want to put out a program that is exclusively about my witness and my testimony and the experiences that I've gone through. And in fact, yesterday... I did talk about that, and it took up 
an hour and a half of recording time. And trust me, there's so much more detail to all of this stuff that I could I could fill up a three-hour time slot just talking about it. But um, I don't know when I'm going to be able to do that because I'm just tired all the time. So um, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Anyway, phone lines are open. Let's go see if there's anybody there. Thank you for listening, everyone. Okay, so I'm getting loaded up at the mine that I go to in Emory County, and uh, I don't really have anything to say other than I found a interesting statistic listening to a Fair Mormon conference where they were talking about polygamy. I can't remember the guy's name, and I've talked to him a bunch, but I can't remember his name. But he wrote a bunch of, he wrote like six books on polygamy. I think his name was Brian something, and he's married. He's an anesthesiologist at Davis Mental, or Davis Mental Health, <laughs> Davis uh, Medical Center, which used to be Humana, which is actually where I was born. So interesting. But um, I can't remember his name. Maybe it'll come to me. Anyway, he was saying that for every 100 men in 2009, for every 100 men, there was 127 women in the church. And, you know, if you you go up to 1,000, then that would be 1,000 men would be... 1,270 women in the church and just keep on going up and you get to the point where you realize that the number of women just in the church far outweighs the number of men. So in 2009, there would have been 1,620,000 women to 6 million men in the church. Now, the numbers are bigger than that now. I don't know what they are, but just going up with the statistics that this man was quoting from the church, there is a massive, massive number of women more than there are men in the church. And if these women want to be married, they have to go outside of the church to find men to marry because there are not enough men in the church for a for each woman to have her LDS husband. And I didn't know the numbers before yesterday. But I was in singles wards, so I got married in 2006, and that marriage didn't last very long. I had a nervous breakdown. She has Asperger's. I had undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, and it just it wasn't, wasn't good. It wasn't healthy for either one of us. I had a lot more healing to do before I was able to 
you know, be married. So, and then, so from 2006 to 2012, I wasn't married either. And then I got married in 2012. I've been married ever since. Uh, in fact, this year will be 10 years in July, July 20th, 10 years. So, um, hold on here. Call. I'm actually writing down my numbers. Okay, got it. All right, but um, so I was in singles wards, mid-single adults, early singles wards, whatever, <clears throat> young adults and mid-adults. And we, I got to dances, you know, and like I had a lot of fun in the singles wards. Um, I was the activities coordinator. I was um, elders quorum secretary. Um, I was asked to be Elders Quorum president, uh, but I never did that because I was getting ready to move at the time uh, to St. George from uh, Taylorsville area, near Salt Lake. Anyway, um, I was a gospel doctrine teacher a bunch, you know, and I had a lot of fun in the single forts, but I noticed that there were many more women than there were men. And then when I went to the mid-single adults wards, I saw that it was a ton, ton more women than than men, especially in the university towns or like, I don't know, around Salt Lake or in Davis County or Utah County, that there were many more, many more women of ratio than there are, are men now. Hold on, I gotta say something to this guy here. Oh. You got it all to yourself, you'll be seven five four. You're welcome. Okay. So, um you know, I just I just noticed these things. Back then, I wasn't advocating for polygamy or anything. I just noticed. And then the other thing, too. So my friends and I would go to dances, and we would take up, like, half of the dance floor. Like, I had a ton of friends in the LDS church. Um, And I noticed that the men... And people, these women would tell me things. They trusted me, okay? I wasn't a sexual predator. I wasn't a sexual, like, I don't know what it was, but but women really trust me when they know me in person. They would tell me about the things that these guys are doing or trying to do. And these guys, a lot of them were schmucks. And these women weren't getting married to them because they they have a higher standard than what these men do. And they're just not going to, to jump into a relationship with some schmuck. I have a friend who I love dearly. She's in her uh, late fifties. Her name is Lexi or Alexia. We call her Lexi. She lives in Germany. She is still, she never found a husband. She never had children. Never. 
Okay, sorry my phone dropped. It's coming down from the mine. I'm headed to the power plant in Huntington with 42 tons of coal, which is kind of cool because it's like $200 per ton for coal. That's a lot of money. Pretty heavy. My uh, truck is uh, ridiculous. Hold on. My wife's calling. I'm going to merge her in. Okay, Kim, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Sorry if yes. um, Arius is going to be maybe talking or screaming in there. He's just done for the day, too. Okay. Um, Are you home I'm, yet? I'm trying to go home. I have a headache, and I am so tired I could probably fall asleep driving. So I was going to stop and just get a drink at the thing, but I needed to know if you needed anything to eat. But I think Olivia was saying you, she got all your stuff into your cooler, so she said you should be good. Yeah, I'm fine. Okay, awesome. I'm just calling to check. And is Emmett home right now doing the radio show too? No, nobody's called in. I'm the only one that's called in. So. Oh, sorry about that. I was trying to get the girls ready for career day tomorrow. One of them wants to be a veterinarian. The other wants to be a doctor. I'm a doctor. And then they have to have their Valentine sent in early before the thing so they can quarantine the treats that we buy from the store, I guess. So we did that, and we got their um, teachers something, you know, for Valentine's because they wanted to get their teachers something special. So I said that was fine. Yeah, so that's what took me forever. I'm sorry. Fine. Um, But I'd love to listen in. I just finished. um, I pre-recorded the whole reading and all of that. Awesome. And I was just talking about um, Brian Hells. The name just came to me. You know who Brian Hells is? Yeah, um, yeah, you've talked about him before. Yeah, so he was doing a, a conference at FAIR, and he was yeah. talking about polygamy, because, you know, he's written six books on the subject. Yeah. And he said that in 2009, that for every 100 men in the church, there was 127 women. Wow. Well, if you go and you uh, extrapolate those numbers and then you move up, you know, decimal points, by the time you get to 6 million men, there are uh, 7 million, one, or 7 million, let me think. Let me see if I have the numbers still on my, 7,620,000 females in the church. So, so why, by the time you get up to 6 million men, there's actually 1,620,000 more females in the church than men. And these, these women, if they want to get married, they have to go outside of the church and marry these Gentile schmucks if they want to have children and husbands. Are you there still? Yep, sorry, I muted me because I've got Arius barking like a dog at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> he goes, roof, roof. <laughs> okay. Can he, hear, can he hear me on the uh, speakerphone? Yeah. yeah, he can hear you. Arius. Arius, stop Daddy? barking. <gasps> Did you hear Daddy's big one? Is that yours? Yeah. Okay, if you buckle, buckle, I'll give you that. <laughs> yep. 
buckle, I'll open it. Nope, get in your chair. And I'll anyway, did you hear me? Um, 1,720,000 women more just if you go up to 6 million men. Now, there's many more. In the, there's like 16 million in the church now, and I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like there's a lot more women in the church than there are men, and these women, you know, they go to the singles wards, and like in the singles wards, you've got all these guys that are, like have committed adultery. You've got guys that that are trying to fornicate with women all the time, all of the time. And many of these women do not want to be with these men. Hey, I'm please sorry. mute yourself because yeah, she is I'm ridiculous. Sorry. Anyway, so, you know, that's what I was talking about. And, like, polygamy is a mercy to women. you got to stop looking at it like these men are just trying to be sexual predators. That's not – that is what – you know, that a lot of guys actually – I, you know, I've got to throw some of these guys under the bus. I've had so many men come to me in their early and mid-20s, and they want to live polygamy so bad, and they want to know what church, uh, you know, that they can join so that they can live polygamy and all this and that, and they don't even have a wife to begin with, you know, and that has nothing to do with righteousness. It has everything to do with their, their you know, hormones. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and I've had a lot of people, like, they get mad at me when I, I'm just blunt with them, you know. And then and then I've had a lot of people go and join uh, other fundamentalist groups because they listen to my programs. And then they decide, oh, I want to live polygamy. But they don't care about anything else. Polygamy is part of Zion's redemption. It's a part. It is not the all end all, whatever, be all. There's more to all of this than just polygamy. But it is a part. But people who want to live it because of their hormones are living it for the wrong reason. And these poor women who do not have the opportunity to find a man and they remain in their singles ward, you know, and some of them just give up and they just go to a regular ward, you know. And some of them get lucky, but you have no idea how many women I was friends with before I got married and before I started my ministry, which, you know, really angered a lot of my friends that I did that. But, um, you know, I still keep track of them, and they're still not married. Tons of women still not married that I was friends with, and I've been married for 10 years. My ex-wife? She actually, um, one of the reasons that she gave the judge for wanting an annulment is because that um, I couldn't get her pregnant, which is funny because Kim and I have a bunch of kids. <laughs> you know, but anyway, so, but um, my um, ex-wife. Speaking of family, you're, um, so your nephew, I don't know, I would want to say his name, but um, your other nephew the Sean? second oldest one? No, Kim, the second you can, oldest one? You yeah. can give first names. I just okay, don't Zach, give last names. Yeah, Zach. Zach is getting married, and um, for some reason, um, when I sent the message to oh, your sister, it didn't show her the 
address. So he asked me for the address and um, wanted to know um, he wants us to go. And he said that he wanted to invite you and your family to come to the wedding. And I said, okay. But I said, just to be sure, is it okay if the kids come too? And he said, yes, please. With exclamation points. And okay, we'll go love then. To see everyone. Yeah. Yeah, his he he older wants brother. To see everybody because they're they're grown up so much and he wants to see. I asked if he was registered somewhere, but he said no, they're not registered, but they don't want to pressure people into getting them anything. So let's just okay. get them everything and. So his older brother, yeah. just for the listening audience, like he didn't want any kids at his wedding. Yeah. yeah. And Kim and I were going to go, but then when we found that out, we're like, nope. Well, this is a family affair. If the family's not going to be involved, then I'm not going. So I didn't go. Uh, we didn't go to that. But I'll go to Zach's, and I'll be happy. I to see everyone except for my own mother. But I'll ignore her. I promise. She better leave okay, me alone, though. Okay, thank you now. for promising. Yeah. I'll, I'll just walk away from her if she tries to say anything, because I'm not dealing with her. Anyway, but um, getting back to my my ex-wife I keep track of her like I want her to find a husband I want her to have children I did love her you know but because of the circumstances and everything it just wasn't a healthy relationship but she's still not married she's like 42 years old no 41 she's not married still why are you she doesn't, so old? <laughs> she doesn't have any kids. I'm I'm only 44. Although I was born in 1490. Kim, you're supposed to argue with me about that. <laughs> okay, I don't know how. Sorry, my I wife. got kids. Sorry. Okay. I was my my kids when they uh, say how old are you, Dad? I always tell them, well, let's see, it's 2022, and I was born in 1490, so this year I will be 531 years old. No, 32, I think. 500, it's a 500, yeah, 532 years old. And then you know they're always like, Dad. Tell us how old you really are, and I'll just tell them. You know, I was born June 1977. So I'm 44. I'll be 45 this year. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with me? Anyway. <laughs> but my ex-wife, she's still not married. She still doesn't have kids. She wanted to have kids so bad. And she is stuck in a perpetual singles ward with no husband. And I feel sorry for her. And I feel sorry for these other women that I was friends with and women I don't even know. And these people who want to speak smooth things to you and tell you how horrible polygamy is because the Gentile mind does not like those things. You know, and you listen to these people that say polygamy is a horrible thing, and it's not. It is not a horrible thing. Marriage is important, but for women, having children is more important. Of course, having a child with a righteous man is the most important. 
So I'm going to advocate for polygamy, and I'm going to advocate for it because I understand the filling ordinances involved more than just the family dynamics, because a woman has to be filled by the Holy Spirit of promise to a man. And when you have 1,720,000 or whatever it was, more women for every 6 million men, then there is a huge problem in the church. And they should bring polygamy back. But they won't because it is unpopular. And the church wants to be popular with the world so that they can gain more converts, which brings them more tithes and offerings and more power. So they won't, but they should. So to be friends, according to Paul, to be friends with the world is to be in opposition or at enmity with God. And you can be popular in the eyes of the world and reject true and correct principles, which they have done and are continuing to do. So anyway, Kim, did you have anything else to say before we end the program for today? Oh, by the way, before Kim says anything, the guest call-in number, last chance, is 917-889-8827. I did have some people trying to call me yesterday during the show. And they listen to the program. Of course, one person that called me, he says he likes to listen to it because it calms him down at night and he falls asleep listening to it. So, <laughs> but he knows that I do these radio okay. shows from 6 to 8 p.m. You know, and these, anybody can call in. I've given this number. This is how you talk to me. If you want to talk to me, this is how it is done. If you want to talk to me privately, I do record these programs every day, and during the recording, I can get you in the call screening room, and you can talk to me privately in the call screening room. I'm not giving my phone number out to the people because I, I just not. I've been banned from straight talk for doing the radio shows. And AT&T bans me for doing the radio shows because some Mormon gets all upset that I'm talking about these things, and they ban me from their even though they say, you know, unlimited calling and conference calls and all that, when I do it, they they ban me. So, anyway, did you have anything to say? I'm actually going in the dip. No, I actually second. don't. So you can totally end the call if you want. <laughs> Emmett tried to call me, and I was like, oh, I'll just be on the line for a little bit longer. So. Okay. Well, I will finish the I'm not sure what we're going to be listening to tomorrow, like I've said before. Okay. Um, it'll probably be Flashback Friday. I do need to do a video on my witness, and uh, but I, I could sit down and actually do a video. Uh, and I'd like you to be in the video too, Kim, because you're part of the whole thing. You know, like Kim and I got married because God commanded us to be married. We did not know each other at all. In fact, when we first met each other in person, we got married. That was on June 30th of 2012. God had already commanded us to get married uh, before we met in person. And uh, we said, well, I guess we should get to know each other then. You know, so we got to know each other for about a month. Um, 
from May 18th, I think it was, until June 30th when I flew up from Tampa Bay up to, um, what was it? It wasn't Montpelier. It was Birmingham, Vermont. Kim. Kim. Oh, she might be in Emory County now. There's a place that breaks up a bunch. Anyway, but we met in person on June 30th, and that was the day I first kissed her. <laughs> and um, and we got married on July 20th, 20 days after we met. And I met her whole family, and she didn't meet any of mine, but I met her whole family, and they were not happy about well. One of them was. One of her sisters was really happy, and then the other ones were like, what is she doing? And her parents were like, uh, what? <laughs> so, anyway, but, yeah, we got married just 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years in July. And we've had – she had two children before I met her, and their father is actually in prison because he's an abusive psychopath. And – um and we've had three other living children and, uh, let's see, a stillborn, a miscarriage, and a live birth that only lived for 13 hours. So we've, we've had plenty of kids. And uh, we'd like to have more, but I don't think that's going to be possible just because of the way things are. So, but, you know... Um, I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm also the tiredest I've ever been. Actually, that's not true. When I worked in the oil fields, I was way more tired than I am now. But <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, um, like I said, we'll come back on tomorrow with Flashback Friday. And uh, I guess we'll just end the program for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless. And goodbye. Thank you.